Hey folks, it's Jeremy Kirkland. You're listening to Blammo. How we doing? We all here today? It's a new week. It's a new week and we're in it. We're in, uh, I think, I think you know what I'm about to say. We're in the fall vibes. You know what I'm talking about? By the way, I hate the term vibes, but I find myself using it more. I'm just saying the vibes. Oh, that's a vibe. I don't know. It's, you know, it's maybe it's some late thirties thing and I'm just trying to, you know, peel away and get back to my youth, but whatever. It's been cold. And um, I'm happy. I'm into it. I'm into the chilly weather. I busted out the barber this weekend. I also busted out, ready for this? My big boy jeans. I say big boy because uh, like many of you, I've been wearing bigger jeans. You know, not just like bigger in the waist, but just like a a larger silhouette. You know, like a little, you know, more straight, maybe like a, they're not baggy when you think baggy, but they're baggier than the super tight jeans that I was wearing you know, or the slim fit, whatever I've been wearing over the years. I, I don't know. They're, they're just not so tight. They're, they're nice. It's a nice comfy fit. Is, is anyone on the fence with this stuff? I mean, first off, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. Like, I, I truly don't. I don't care what you wear. I, I think you're cool with whatever you wear. You can wear whatever you want. And if you're happy with it, you're cool. I love that. I love that. That's the day and age that we're in. But I, personally, I, I love to experiment. I found myself just wearing a more forgiving <laughs> silhouette and um it's funny because you know i'm sure you know we all have a few friends who are who are just on that tip before we all are I- i'm sure as you're listening to this you're probably like oh yeah i have a friend who's like that you know he was into whatever refused before you or radiohead before you or something like that but so a while ago i was with that friend that friend i because I-, I have that friend too and we were chatting about clothes and, and records and w- whatever other dumb thing that we were currently into at the moment, you know, lately it's chairs. First of all, I don't know. I feel like that's the thing that you do when you get older is like, you just, you flex on all your friends with your chairs. He's like, oh man, I got a, I'm, I'm getting a, I'm getting a Judd chair. And this guy's like, oh, I, well, I'm getting a Nelson chair. And he's like, well, I have a Judd and a Nelson and, and I have an Eames. And then another guy's like, well, I have a, you know, Kerfuffle chair. And everyone's like, Kerfuffle. And they're all busting out their phones, trying to look up who a Kerfuffle, you know, person doesn't even exist. But anyway. So I'm talking to this guy, and we were talking about chairs, and he was like, oh, have you guys heard of Henry's? I'm like, what? Huh? No, we didn't really know what was going on. And one guy was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know Henry's. And he was like, yeah, it's this guy named Keith Henry. you got to check this dude out. Like, he makes his own jeans. And everyone's like, whoa, whoa, that's so cool. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, the fits are so on, they're they're so on point. And um, then he goes, oh, Kirkland, he's bald, man. You'd like him. I'm sure you guys would get along. And I was like, first off, hold the phone. There are a lot of other bald dudes out there that are clowns. So take your bad joke and shove off, man. But he did link me up with this Keith character. He's a cool dude. Dang it. He's a, he's a super cool dude. I mean, everyone's cool. It was, it was great. So Keith Henry and I did a pod. And uh, I got to say, I love the guy. It was a ton of fun. We chatted for a while. Got to meet up with him in New York. Um, he's based in Canada. But, you know. Everyone kind of can travel these days. So uh, we chatted. It was, it was good. Keith and I discussed his life growing up in Canada, skateboarding and photography, being into hardcore like everyone else, and how he went from driving trucks to making some of the best jeans on the planet. We also discussed pattern making, taking apart Dickies, and why he still makes his own clothes. All right, folks, let's do it. Big Boy Pants with Keith Henry. Here we go. I'm very glad you're on. I've long been quite curious about 
Yeah, yeah. About your brand. <laughs> about why I do what I do. Yeah. I mean, because would you say you're like an artist or a designer? Is it even fair to try to put you into a box? I apologize for that. No, it's fine. I mean, I don't even know really how to categorize myself. I guess like creative family, so to speak. Ooh. Like my dad had camera equipment when I was younger and I used to just kind of play around with it okay. without his knowledge. And then... <laughs> Wait, without year, his knowledge? Yeah, yeah. He just like had it in his like little spare room kind of thing. And I would just like discover it one day. Like I knew he had the camera equipment. Uh-huh. But I was like, let me just play around with this and see what it's all about. And I would just focus on things. I was like, how do you get the background blurry or these, you know these images like it's so it's so fascinating to me so i would just take the camera around the house and like you know focus on a door frame or a, a door handle and be like oh cool like is this I like want... the bokeh i'm like air quote yeah like bokeh like that kind of thing but just like the depth perception of like the looking through the lens was like always fascinated me mm -hmm. and then yeah one year i just asked to take it on vacation and just took a bunch of photos and kind of sparked sparked that whole side of things for me there because i started out as a photographer and then kind of transitioned into making clothing in like 2015 oh shit so. But yeah, I've kind of been like shooting photos on and off since I was like a little kid. Um, Do you remember what what the what kind of camera it was? Yeah, it was like the camera everyone has and like everyone learns on, which is like the Canon eighty one. But no, I um yeah, I just started kind of playing around with camera equipment and stuff like that. So, um, and then eventually, you know, you get a little bit older, you start shooting more photos, you get into skateboarding, you start shooting skateboarding. Oh whoa 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 whoa! This yeah, is not yeah. this is not as linear as you're making it out to be, with all due respect. <laughs> <laughs> I guess like if you want to categorize myself, it's like it's hard to say like I guess I'm an artist or creator, but I've never really like identified as that, so to speak. Like I, I wasn't like I'm an artist. So you're at a party and this person's like, man, I like your style. What do you do? And I'm like, I drive a truck. <laughs> That's what I did for a long time in Vancouver. Because when you oh. say you're... Yeah. So I, I lived in Vancouver before I lived in Toronto. And before okay. that, like my hometown, that whole thing. But uh, yeah, I, I used to just say like... I just, I drive a truck because when you tell people you're a photographer in Vancouver, they're like, oh, did you go to Emily Carr? And I said, no, which is like an art school. Like Tim yeah, Barber yeah. went there. A bunch of people went there. So I was just like, no, no, didn't go to Emily Carr. Just a photographer, <laughs> you know? What, real quick, you can maybe settle this debate. So I've been to Vancouver before. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, when everyone that I've talked to that's been to Vancouver or shot film or whatever in Vancouver They've said that it's arguably the most beautiful city in the world. Is it true? Mm, physically, yeah, for sure. It's like <laughs> incredible to look at. Yeah, okay. Has, yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful place, but at the same time, like for me and what I want to do, there's not like too much going on opportunity-wise, I would say. Oh, okay. Which is part like, of the reason I moved to Toronto in the first place. Toronto is fucking great. Absolutely yeah, great. love Toronto. Yeah, that's like the general place. consensus with like people who have like spent time on the East Coast kind of thing. Like, because you lived in New York for a long time, correct? Yeah, it was like yeah. seventeen years. And it's Stupid. like a thing. People from New York love Toronto. They're like, it's just a clean version of New York. That's. I think Canadians are generally far more warm and welcoming than yeah. uh, than your average New Yorker. And there's not a stigma. I think there's an assumption of some sort of people that have never been to New York or, you know, have never lived there. You know, I remember this, I was talking to my mom and my, my mom was like, yeah, she was like, you know, your dad was constantly worried about you, like your safety and your security when you were in New York. And I was like, I was freaking safe as can be. I mean, I, there was never one situation in which I was, you know, very concerned for my safety or security. And then like in Canada, everyone's nice. Even, 
even when I was there like not that long ago, and maybe you're gonna be like, I don't know, you're in the wrong spot. But I mean, I was in Toronto and I was lost because like, I don't know, whatever. And um, this person was like, yo, are you, where, where, are you, where are you trying to get to? <laughs> and it was funny because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to get to this other spot in Yorkville and whatever. And they're like, oh, just go up the street. And then uh, they were like, hey, you have a phone, right? And I was like, yeah. They're like, why don't you just pull that out? <laughs> like, touche. <laughs> You're like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm actually trying to use my phone less, but yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Like, you got a phone? Why don't you Google Maps and find your way pretty quickly? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think, um, yeah, the Canadian thing being nice, like, definitely. And uh, I think it's more of, like, a manners thing. When I, go to, when I go to New York and I'm like, hey, can I get a, can I get a coffee, please? They're like, please, interesting. Are you, where are you from? <laughs> please, like, who's from, this fucking guy? <laughs> I'm from Toronto. <laughs> Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I, I like Toronto a lot. I think it's like a bigger city. As, as far as Canada is concerned, I think it's like for what I want to do, mm -hmm. photography, sewing wise, that kind of thing. There's like a lot of, you know, there's a lot of resources here. There's a lot of information to be shared. There's a lot of just opportunity. And I feel mm -hmm. like Vancouver for me was kind of like a big, small town where it was like, hey, what do you do? Oh, I do that too. Like one day you'll get to my level. If you oh. work hard enough. And then I come to Toronto and they're like, hey, what do you do? And I explain what I did. And they're like, oh, I could actually use your help on something. Like You said I drive a truck. And they're like, hey, I need no, a No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd be wearing pants. And they would be like, what are these pants? And I'm like, well, I made these. And they're like, oh, I could actually use you for something. Like, I work at a company and we're looking for like a lookbook sample. Would you be able to, would you be able to make something like that? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then from that, you know, creates opportunities and connections and stuff like that. Because so. you... It, maybe not currently, but you make or had made your own clothes. Or do you currently do. make? I still make still everything. Yeah. Get the fuck out. Okay, I now swear, well, yeah. I got to correct those those uh, on my notes here. Yeah, I still make everything. That's nuts. It's crazy for sure, but it's a journey. Yeah, sounds like it. So, all right, let's go back to the camera stuff. So, you're younger. You're yeah. fooling around with your dad's camera. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know about it. Eventually, it sounds like he figures it out. Yeah, Do you get, yeah. Does he get you your own camera? No, never. No, he was like, if you want to use that, you can use it. But if you want to buy your own camera, you can save up for that with your paper route. Paper route? <laughs> yeah, I had a paper route for a long time. How'd you get that? I took it over from my brother when he moved out of the house. I was like 14, I think, when I started. Okay. Were you on like a bike? Is, is this like No, sort I of... was like walking around the neighborhood kind of thing. With like a satchel and your papers and you're tossing them. and you Not know. even tossing them. You have to go up to every door and put it in the thing because I'm from like the middle of Canada where there's like, you know, crazy snowstorms and mm -hmm. it's just very hectic weather. And if you don't put it in the door, you get complaints. So I really? can't just, yeah, I can't just throw it on the lawn. Even if you walk across people's yards, like they get, they get pissed off. So you have to like Clowns. go up and down the walkways and yeah, it took forever. No, I saved up. I think we were like, uh, we were going on a trip to Europe with our school and we were doing some fundraising and like saving. Mm -hmm. And I think I'd saved more than I expected. And when I got okay. back from that trip, I bought like my first digital SLR. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Which I was like, probably. Rebel? Yeah, exactly that. Rebel yeah. XT at the time. Great camera. Great camera. So are you like, you're not an analog purist guy? It sounds like you went to digital early and you never really cared? I went to digital early because I'm from a very small town. Mm -hmm. It's like a town one hour east of Edmonton. Um, mm. There's like 6,000 people and there was no real photo labs. It was right. just like the grocery store. So for me, shooting film was a bit of like, you know, it had its limitations. That being said, I did shoot a little bit more film as I moved out of the house, that kind of thing. But yeah, I never was like, 
an analog purist. I've always like yeah. just kind of gravitated towards like whatever was easiest, whatever I could get my hands on. And I think digital for me was like, you know, it really fast tracks your learning ability. You can you can try things. It doesn't work out. You're like, what? what's, you know, what's the problem here? Adjust the ISO. Like, yeah, you right. Know, you can shoot as much as you want. It's not expensive. So, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's it's funny because I have a bunch of I'm a, a bad photographer and I have bought super nice cameras. I bought shitty cameras. I've done disposable. I've done everything else. And my wife's actually pretty damn good. She did like a photojournalism class and she just knows how to compose. And I remember I was talking to a friend who's a pretty good photographer. And I was like, man, I was like, I'm just trying really hard to get this stuff. And he's like, well, you know, and he wasn't rude about it, but he's like, you can't just like, he's like, you kind of either have it or you don't. He's like, you just need to have the eye to figure out what people want to see and what you want to see. He's like, you can't, it's not a phone, man. And I was like, oh shit. And it really kind of made me realize like just the art of composition and how important that is. Um, what, I mean, did you, were you aware that you were having this ability early on or what? I don't know. I think I just kind of had fun with it. Mm-hmm. Like I had an uncle who, uh, who also shot photos, not professionally, but just for fun. And so we kind of used to talk back and forth and um, I don't even think I really looked at too many books really like i was just looking at skateboard magazines mm. mainly at the time you know okay and i was uh i was into like higher end like fashion photography at the time which was like patrick howell i think my dad had a little bit of like vanity fair magazines around the house kind of thing so i would just like look at old photos like that i wasn't really you know trying to compose like rule of thirds or right that sort of thing and um at the time there was a uh, sort of like a pseudo myspace for canada what was it called <laughs> it's called nexopia okay but i think i think it was only like a prairies thing yeah i was gonna say really... wasn't myspace global anyway myspace was global but this was like around the same time but it was more niche to like edmonton calgary mm. like prairie cities okay and a bunch of my friends in my school had it so i just had it and they had um photography forums i guess so you could like submit photos and then get roasted basically and they're like this is terrible composition so that's kind of like how i started with it i would just submit photos you know people would rate them or not rate them even but they would be like oh maybe try like composing this person like in the rule of thirds i'm like what's the rule of thirds and then they send you a little article about that online and oh snap okay yeah so that's kind of like how i how i gained it it was like a focus group sort of thing for photography where you just like put out images it would be like you know sports images or portraits and right. stuff like that and there was different sections so you could like yeah kind of submit stuff that way and and get told like nah this is good this is bad or like you did you know some improvements here from the last time that sort of thing so it kind of honed my photography skill that way i, I would say oh my god that's that's actually really incredible yeah and there was like an older guy not an older guy i guess he would probably would have been in his 20s but i was like 17 at the time 16 submitting photos this way mm -hmm. and uh he lived in the city an hour east of me and he would just order from like nikon pro service or canon pro service and he was like i'm ordering a bunch of light meters if anyone needs a light meter i get whatever percent off so you know i would order camera equipment through him my parents would drive me to the city and i'd go pick it up from him oh wow so yeah, just kind of like a small little community that way. And that's kind of how I started working with like dynamic lighting setups, external flashes. Okay, so you and were you were in it. I was in it, but I was mainly like, so I really wanted to shoot like fashion portraiture, fashion photography and skateboard photography at the same time with like, you know, really dynamic setups, really, you know, intense lighting, soft boxes, backdrops, like, whoa, that's 
that's kind of the photography I was really into at the time. This but, isn't like trans world. This is a little bit more. No, it's like trans world, but like, you know, the stuff Atiba Jefferson was doing with like Hasselblads and like many flashes. And there was a Canadian photographer, Scott Palmier, who was mm-hmm. rumored to be using like 16 flashes. Like it's, yeah, pretty intense stuff. So I was like, oh, I can't really get 16, but I could maybe get like two or three flashes going. So. And w- were you also skating at this time or you were just like. Yeah, yeah. I've been skating since I was, I guess, seven years old. I started when I was seven and I was like too small to do anything so I put it away and then I think I turned 11 and I really wanted a scooter but I couldn't get a scooter so I just had a skateboard and I push around on it pretend like it was a scooter and I'm like who am I fooling I should just do this instead (laughs) so I kind of picked it back up again when I was 11 and yeah there wasn't too many people to skateboard with in my hometown but I always knew there was like you know more opportunity I guess in the city next to me so yeah i feel like skateboarding was like our generation's like sandlot and outdoor baseball i mean it's everyone seriously every single person that i've talked to and they talk about like what they did when they were younger or still do skateboarding just always enters the the lexicon and the picture and everything i mean it's just it's just inherent uh, especially you know any creative i feel like well yeah I think that's what it is. It's like, it teaches you how to persevere and like really believe in yourself. And you know, you, you're looking at skateboarding and you're like, I like this person. I don't like this person. Like, why do you like him over him or, you know, them yeah. over them? And it's like, well, his pants suck. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't explain. You're like, I don't like what he does with his arm. That was me and Daywon's song, man. I was like, don't, not, I'm not into Daywon's song. His style sucks. <laughs> and it's funny because people are like, no, man, it's, he's great. I was like, nope, I'm Andrew Reynolds. You know, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. that was my vibe. Through and through. Totally. But that's kind of, I think that kind of like, you know, it, it teaches you how to interact with, with life in a different way. You know what I mean? Where it's like, mm-hmm. if you're looking at hockey players, there's only so many differences you can have. I mean, in, in terms of like skating, handling of the whatever, you know, puck or basketball, it's like, uh, it's a bit less personality than skateboarding where you have people like Corey Duffel wearing like completely skin tight, like, <laughs> you know, rockabilly uniform. And then you have like whoever wearing huge clothes and yeah. you know, baggy pants and they're just like very eccentric, like Chad Muska or something with a boom box. And you're like, wow, that's like such a difference. But they can like both hang out in the same in the same room and like be friends. And yeah, it's really interesting. Were you also it, playing games? Like were you playing like Tony Hawk? I so I don't really like video games, but I did the only video game I've ever had was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. Yeah. On Game Boy Advance. Whoa, wait, wait, you you weren't playing it on a console? How are you doing no. all your tricks with two buttons? No, I never had a console because my, my mom didn't like video games. She was like, no, no video games in the house. And when they'd go on their little trips every year, like, you know, they'd go away, get like a hotel room in the city or something like that. They would be like, all right, here, we'll rent a, a console from the whatever blockbuster video or whatever it was in my town. And we'd get N64 with Goldeneye and Bingo. stuff. And okay. I, I would play stuff like that or Mario Kart I was really into. But, you know, after a certain time, you're like, I'm bored. Like, I'm just bad at this and I don't care. <laughs> I don't care to get good because I know it's only going to last for a few days. So I'm just going to go outside and skateboard. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I hear you on that. Yeah, I was more the guy who was like, man, I can't even get on this fun box. I'm just going to, yeah, yeah. but I can do the best tricks in a video game. Maybe I can live in my video game world. Yeah, like, I'll just live in this fantasy world. It's a lot better for me. Yeah. I was like, yeah, "Yeah, but I can grind for about six minutes straight over here. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm outside, like, slugging away, getting, like, you know, bumps and bruises that I still have to this day. 
Oh, my my knees to this day are just wrecked from yeah. I have like a second. I have like a second kneecap on my left side because it's just like a calcium buildup from falling so much. But yeah, I don't really skateboard anymore, so it's not to be worried about. (laughs) Yeah, same. I I mean, I I have a uh, a board and I'll go and like try to do stuff, and it's like one little pebble in my street, and I just fall like six feet. I'm like, you know what? I don't know if it's worth it right now. And you're (laughs) devastated after that. You're like, ooh, this actually hurts a lot. Yeah, no, it does hurt to fall. I don't know well, how if you, take was, a, yeah. if you take a general person from the street and you like hit them in the shins with a piece of wood, it's pretty traumatizing. <laughs> it's true. And then if you jump back on a skateboard and you just you're trying to do a trick and it hits you, you're like, ooh, yeah, I forgot about that. Like it's pretty bad. <laughs> I don't know if it's worth it. So okay, so you're you're skating, you're taking pictures. When yeah. how does truck driving enter the picture? Well, I just had general labor jobs throughout my whole life. So like shoveling you know, shoveling the walks, shoveling driveways for money, cutting the grass, mm-hmm. you know, just construction, general general labor like that, I would say. Yeah. Uh, truck driving, I guess I worked for a party rental business in Vancouver. Okay. Um, so we would drive like tables, chairs, glassware around. Okay. So you're not driving a semi. I'm not driving a semi. No, 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 no. Nothing like that. That okay. would be, no. I'm not ice road truckers over here or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Uh, no, no, no. Just general labor stuff. So had a job. My boss was a skateboarder. I got hired that way. And then you hire all your skateboard friends. And it's just like you're hanging out with your friends at work all day and getting oh, the job done. Oh, okay. But yeah, I did that to, I guess, just make ends meet. And then I eventually, you know, lived in Edmonton for one year, went to university, didn't like my program, didn't want to continue with it. And I was just shooting a little bit more skateboard photos. And I was like, well, I'm not going to get anything published if no one knows who these people are. So I got to move to where all the action is, which at the time was in Vancouver. Right. And so I moved to Vancouver knowing like one person, maybe two people. What's it like, Rick McCrank or whatever? Is that the Vancouver guy? That's the Vancouver guy. Yeah. 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 Okay. Exactly that. But no, it's like knowing like one friend or whatever in Vancouver. I didn't really know anybody else there. And I just kind of winged it and made it happen. And then I guess just through skateboarding and meeting people, I was like, hey, I shoot photos as well. If you ever want to go and shoot photos, we should, you know, get out there and do that. And then you slowly work your way up the ladder, build the trust with people. And then, yeah, I worked for magazines and travel the world and that whole thing. And whoa, 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 thought, whoa. whoa. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is a little <laughs> bit more than what it's, it's more than the average like hobbyist I guess but yeah I was I really wanted to pursue photography um and so that's kind of why I moved to Vancouver in the first place I always had a job like a full-time job but I yeah I wanted to shoot photos for skateboard magazines and travel and do all that and I was able to thankfully do that in my time there so so out of curiosity yeah if you're you know to go back when we're talking about you're at a party and you tell people you drive trucks but (laughs) secretly it sounds like you're traveling the world as a skate photographer why the disconnect i don't know i maybe it's like a blue collar upbringing thing for me oh okay it's like you tell people you you're a photographer like oh really like did you go to emily Carr? like that was like it's very academic and they're like are you like an artsy photographer you shoot only film i'm like no i i just i drive a truck no i (laughs) shot a dude doing a fucking kickflip on a 16 stair (laughs) yeah exactly that i don't know yeah i don't know what the disconnect was i mean now i'm obviously like i I make clothing that's like an easy one because that's literally all i do but yeah it was just like an easy end to the conversation instead of like i'm a photographer it's like cool everyone's a photographer i'm a photographer too they pull out their phone and you're like okay i'm over this i don't want to continue this conversation so yeah i don't know maybe i should have owned it more back in the day but i just never really yeah i just never really did for whatever reason yeah no that's fine that's fair i mean i'm like that too even to this day we were at we were at some wedding and uh you know we bump into some random couple we're like waiting in line to get some like i don't know cheese danish 
sandwich thing, whatever. <laughs> and uh, they're like, oh, you know, what do you do? And this guy's like, oh, I work in, you know, finance and da, da, da. And she's like, oh, I, you know, I'm a, I'm making this up. She's like, oh, I, I work, I'm a developer for blank and blank. And my wife's like, yeah, I'm a copywriter. And it's like, what do you do? I was like, I don't know. I just kind of hang around or I didn't want to tell people I make a fucking podcast because then like, they'd be oh, like, oh, really? Oh, what is it? And then they'll like pull it up on their phone and look at it. Yeah. yeah or they're like, you know, you ever talk to any famous people? You know, or it's like, like, oh, let me go through the list, actually. Yeah, this person, this person. They're like, yeah. I've never heard of any of them. You're like, great. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I definitely, I, yeah, it's more of like the humble thing and almost embarrassment. I mean, I'm not trying to project that on you, but that was always a thing that, and then sometimes I'm like, I don't know, I work in marketing. And you're like, well, it's just fucking, that's just a catch-all. But it, yeah, it's, it's hard good, to, to explain yourself. It is hard to explain yourself. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so tough. So you're, you're touring the world. <laughs> Style and clothing, when is the center of the picture? Because obviously you're surrounded by it, by, and the fact that I, at least I believe that skateboarders are probably the most stylish people ever. Um, but w- where does the clothing stuff start to enter the picture? Well, I think it started to enter the picture, like, I guess from the very beginning, if you want to think about it that way, like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't ollie in these pants, even underwear. I can't ollie in these underwear. I have to wear something else. Like, these jeans are too restricting to, like, get on this rail. I have to find a solution for that. And at the time, I remember I was wearing a lot of, like, skateboard brands, Ruka, Altamont, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was tearing them up. I was just completely destroying these things. And someone was like, get some dickies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, huh? I'm like, don't they fit bad? He's like, no, nah, you got to size up in them because they're like a high-waisted pant, whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay. So, then, you know, you go to the local army surplus, you get some dickies. They're very cheap. I think they were like $20 at the time, $23. I think they're still around that. Or maybe they're $30 now. But I mean, it, it's maybe, very Maybe affordable. in the States, but I, I know Oh, Canada, Canadian like, dollars, yeah. Yeah, they're like a lot more money now. But I, uh, so that's kind of what I did. And, you know, every paycheck, you'd go and get a different color or, you know, you'd wear them, they'd get destroyed. It wasn't too big of a deal. And I was like, oh, I'm really into this stuff. And I kind of had this like inkling, like I would love a pair of raw denim that just fit like dickies. And obviously Dickies makes jeans at the time, but they were always stonewashed with like a gold stitch. And I was like, I don't really want that. I don't want like, you know, I don't need a hammer loop to skateboard in. I don't really want to look like that. And I Mm -hmm. was kind of like, I don't want to look like everybody else because this was in the era of literally everyone wearing Dickies and white tees. And that's all they had. Black shoes, white sole. Everyone looked like a clone. And I was like, I don't really want to look like these people. I have, you know, bigger aspirations fashion wise, but I just can't afford what I want. I really like Japanese stuff, but I was like, I can't really get my size in that because I wear a pretty big size. I wear, I think at the time I was a 36, I wear a 38 now. Mm -hmm. And I was like, they don't really make sizes like that, especially like, you know, you don't want to spend $400 on a pair of pants and skateboard in them. It's just going to completely ruin them. So I I went to an army surplus store. I found a pair of Swiss prison pants with patch pockets on the front. Uh It was like a salt and pepper green denim i think they were 20 dollars, and i was like wow these are amazing i don't want to skateboard in these because i know they're a little bit fragile but i'd love to somehow recreate these and uh i had a couple friends making clothing at the time and i just reached out to them and i was like i would love to recreate these pants or dickies with raw denim like how do i go about doing that and my friend cassie bailey from vancouver she has a brand called old-fashioned standards um she was like all you got to do is this. And she listed it out for me on the phone. She was like, <laughs> take a pair of Dickies apart if that's what you want to recreate. This is the easiest way to do it. Trace the front panel onto the, pa- onto the fabric, back panel, everything, every you know component you want. Add seam allowances, which is like usually about quarter inch, half an inch, depending on what you want to do. She's like, so trace it all out onto denim and you sew the front panels together, back panels together, You know, put the pockets on before that. Inseam, outseam, waistband, belt loops, 
finishing touches. And I was like, cool. She said, let me look at your patterns before you do anything. And I was like, okay, sure. And then I just winged it and figured it out. I bought a sewing machine from a friend and I just kind of did it like, yeah, randomly. But. What in the absolute fuck? Like the uh, the the ease and the the casualness that you're explaining a story in which it sounds like you learned pattern making through a fucking text message. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm I'm so <laughs> flabbergasted by this. Like, hold well, on. I, I'm like, you know, I I have like a very doer mentality. If I'm like, I'm gonna do this. Like, I'm gonna move to Vancouver. I know one person. I'm gonna shoot skateboard photos and do this. Where does that come from? I don't know. I guess maybe like subconsciously it was the skateboard stuff because like my hometown, I never really you know had aspirations to work at the welding factory there or like you know stay where i was from because i would watch skateboard videos and they're in paris they're in barcelona and i'm like oh i want to go there how do i get there right i can't get there welding i could get there maybe skateboarding but i'm not talented enough so i'm gonna maybe shoot photos which i really enjoy and see if i can do it that way so maybe it was that um what do folks think about this they're down yeah yeah i don't know why they've always been supportive in that way i think they were like as long as you're not like selling drugs or doing anything crazy like we we support you that's great i mean have you when did you like put that together or have you put that together how unique that is oh i know it's extremely unique and extremely like i'm I'm very very grateful for that i think my dad like being creative because he's like a drawer painter that kind of thing my brother was a musician oh an amazing drummer so they kind of allowed him to like you know the band practice was at our house Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. They're like, make as much noise as you want. Just, you know, <laughs> do whatever. Don't, yeah. They're like, don't run around. Don't be like a piece of shit. Like, just <laughs> don't kill anyone. Gonna, but yeah, pretty here. much. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you couldn't really get into too much trouble in my hometown, but it was like, hey, if you want to play outside and get active, like, that's cool for me. So if you, if it's soccer, if it's this, you know, skateboarding was, it's a lot cheaper than like registering your kid in any sport. So mm-hmm. they were like, hey, we're happy to do that for you. We're going to buy you one pair of shoes a year. If you want any more, you can, you know, buy those yourself and go about it that way. But yeah, so my, I guess background wise, like my mom comes from a family of 13. Whoa. Yeah. A French farming family uh, from Canada. Okay. But she, you know, she grew up with like dirt floors in the basement and like mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And so they used to make all their own clothing. And when we were really young, she used to make us clothes to go to school in. And then you get to a certain age and you're like, I don't want to wear these clothes anymore. Like just like an easy pant, basically, like an elasticated waistband, like blue trouser, uh-huh. that sort of stuff. And so as you grow up skateboarding, you're like, I really want tight jeans. Like I want to look like Jim Greco or something. And my mom was like, I'm not going to buy you tight jeans. That's ridiculous. You have a bunch of pants. Why don't you just tailor them to be tight? She and said, so why would, don't you tailor them? Yeah. Why don't I? She's oh, like, I'm wow. not going to do it for you. I'll teach you how. Oh, and and I'm like, well, how do I do that? And she's like, well, the simplest way is to just flip your pants inside out, trace a line on the inseam, and then just follow that with the stitch. And so I think I was like 13, something like that. 13 when I started doing this. And you're on the singer, huh? I'm on the, yeah, well, the old, like, whatever janome like home machine okay because i would buy like women's jeans from the value village or the goodwill and i would take the boot cut out and make them like skin tight oh yeah (laughs) and i'd skateboard in those i mean it's cheap it's like the cheapest solution for tight jeans instead of like going and buying a pair of like altamont or crew jeans at the time or whatever so that's like how i started sewing i guess okay that's incredible (laughs) it didn't it didn't last too long i would say i wasn't like you know I wasn't like making everything for years since then, but you know, right. I would take my dad's large t-shirts and turn them into a medium 
um, tailor them to my body. You're tailoring t-shirts? I mean, that's Just, a pretty fragile... But the basic thing, you know what I mean? You flip it inside out, you trace the line, you're like, oh, cool, it's a slim T now. And it's long, which I wanted. Um, wow. Yeah, just just weird things like that. So that was kind of my experimentation with it. I didn't really think too much about it. I wasn't like, I'm going to go to fashion school. I'm going to make clothing. It just right. kind of like unfolded in front of me, so to speak. What and then did when your I, friends think of this stuff? Because, I mean, it, it seems pretty unique. I think they thought it was ridiculous, but it's fine. Because I was like, whatever, you guys are all losers anyways. I'm going to go skateboarding. <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> but that was the thing. It was like the skateboarding really like it, it showed me what I could become, so to speak, because I would look at, you know, skateboard videos or go to the skate shop in my mm -hmm. The, mm -hmm. the city closest to me. And I was like, oh, these guys are so cool. Like maybe when I can move to the city, I can skateboard with them and that whole thing. And I think just it's one of those things where it's kind of like, you know, it's the hall pass to anywhere you want to go, essentially, mm. where you show up in a city with a skateboard. If you can actually skateboard, people are going to talk to you. Hey, what's up? Where are you from? Right. You know, right. You have a, you have a great kickflip. Like, what's up? Where, who, who are you? Like, where are you from? Da, da, da. How long are you here for? We should come skate with us. How'd like, you make those pants? <laughs> pretty well. Yeah. And then it turned into that pretty much. And then it's like, oh, I just sewed them myself. They're like, what do you mean you sewed them yourself? Okay, good. So, so other people are catching on to how no, people are catching on. Yeah. yeah. So when I started making stuff myself, people were very interested. And I was like, what do you mean you're interested? Like, I just made these for myself. They're like, can I buy a pair? Yeah. And I'm like, I never thought of that. I don't even know what I'm doing. And they're like, well, I'm down to support whenever you want to decide to sell something. So, yeah, this was like months before I was about to leave Vancouver for Toronto to pursue more like fashion editorial photography. And so mm. I was kind of just doing this as a hobby, picking up fabric, just making things for myself and getting really into it and being like, ooh, not even thinking it could become a thing. I was like, I'm going to still try to pursue photography, but just see what happens, you know, just making stuff, enjoying it. Wait, wait, ho hold on a second. Okay, before you send that DM or text that friend, I know what you're thinking. You're ready to buy your first serious watch. Or in other cases, maybe your fourth or your fifth. But look, man, it's hard out there. It really is. From this dealer or that store that wants the purchase history or whatever. That, I mean, you're just, I, I don't know. You're almost ready to walk away from the whole game. But fear not, my friends. Check out Bezel. Bezel is the trusted marketplace for buying and selling your next luxury watch. With expert in-house authentication on every purchase. With over 18,000 watches listed right now, as of the time I'm recording this, from a mix of professional dealers to private sellers, you're just going to find what you're looking for. But wait, wait, I know. You're like, Jeremy, I'm sorry. They don't have that X Rolex or that insane Omega. Well, reach out to them. Bezel has a real team of real people. Just create an account and be connected with a private client advisor, and they will guide you through the entire process every step. Once you decide on your watch, it's overnighted to Bezel HQ where their in-house team of experts authenticate it, and then it's on your way to you. If anything is amiss, the watch is not listed correctly, whatever it is, they'll let you know, the buyer know, and the offer to refund you, or source you a new one at a similar price. That's <laughs> pretty good, right? This has been part of the Bezel ethos since launch. I've even spoke to the founders about it. And now, you can make an offer on a watch, buy it outright, or bid it at auction. Bezel is the highest rated watch marketplace out there. Even Trustpilot shows Bezel is 4.9 out of 5 stars with rave reviews. Okay, okay, you're still on the fence? Dig into the Blamo feed yourself and listen to my chat with the Bezel co-founders and, well, see for yourself. But you got this. I believe in you. Visit GetBezel.com and buy and sell your next luxury watch. That's GetBezel.com. GetBezel.com. 
So other than like Jim Greco, like who, by the way, I mean, it's incredible. So uh, fresh. <laughs> yeah. And I'm yeah. so, by the, and I'm also very glad that he's in a much better place with uh, mm-hmm. his health. Mm-hmm. But um, wh- who else are you looking at that's kind of inspiring these sort of fits and, and designs? I guess like I always look to people my age. So mm. I, and this is a terrible style representation, but it's like, I, I looked at Ryan Sheckler or, you know, Uh-oh. people, people like that, but not, not necessarily for style, okay. um, clothing wise, but yeah, I, as a kid, I was like, oh, I really like Sean Malto, which is like maybe where the long t-shirts thing came in and, um, that sort of thing. I don't really know if I had like a style icon, so to speak within skateboarding, but you know, well, what about liked- outside? I mean, everyone likes the Jim Grecos or mm-hmm. everyone likes uh, the Gino Iannucci's, that kind of thing. Um, yep, yep. Outside of skateboarding. I don't know. I was never really like, you know, I love this designer. I love that designer. I was more just inspired by vintage clothing, I think, and like military wear and, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I don't know if I necessarily have a style icon that I can even point a finger on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of who would be like my style inspiration. I mean, Reynolds, Brian Herman, I think was like a big one, which is why but I these are all like stuff. regular they're I mean, the, the, they're celebrities, people. but this isn't like, oh, I saw Bullet and I just had to have their pants. And so I made it, you know? Yeah. No, it wasn't ever that. I was always just kind of like, what works for my body? Because these guys are all skinny and I have like pretty big legs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was like, I look ridiculous in skinny jeans. Like I got to sort out my proportions here. And I think it was more like playing with proportions that kind of taught me how to wear clothing a little bit better. And then mm. being able to like buy and, you know, experiment with like Dickies, like if you buy a pair that's a little too small, it's not a big deal to buy another pair because it's pretty cheap. Yeah. And it's like, well, maybe next time I'm going to buy two sizes up from what I normally wear. And then I'll hem them so that the opening is a little bit larger so it doesn't taper as much. And so you kind of like, you find your size throughout the years, you know, you experiment with that. You're buying Gildan hoodies and like large, extra large, double extra large, like just really trying to figure out what, what fits you best and what you like. So as, as someone who understands pattern making, why mm. do you think that the Dickies 874 is like the most flattering silhouette? Well, I think it's because you're supposed to wear it at your natural waist. It's not a low rise pant. Mm-hmm. I think like for what it is, it's a pretty flawless design in terms of like how it falls on the body. Like mm-hmm. it hugs your waist. It's generous enough through the seat and it's slightly tapered towards the opening. Right. The Levi's 501, it doesn't really fit everyone the same. Like it might fit you great and it might fit me terribly because it's more of a straight leg pant and it's kind of tighter around the thigh, that sort of thing. So yeah, I I like the Levi's 550 because it's a bit more relaxed and slightly tapered, similar to a Dickies, but without that high waisted, you know, aspect to it. So yeah, I'm, I, I like the 505. 505 um, is good too. Which is good. And then I've been trying to find Levi's 517s. Um, yep. but those are pretty hard and I, I didn't realize this, but someone may correct me there. The 517, just like the 501 is not the same throughout the years. Like it, same, it's, yeah. it is the same. I'm air yeah. quoting, but it's, it's not, <laughs> I mean, even the 550 is like, it's different throughout the years as well. I mean, nineties ones fit a lot different than the new ones do. And I mean, even if you look at like LVC, for example, they have mm-hmm. like, you know, the 1800s Levi's with like all the way up to like the, whatever the 1970s or something. And I was always gravitating towards the 1800s ones Hmm. but i was like i can't wear a single back pocket with like a cinch back i need like belt loops you know i want it to be like a normal pant yeah and uh in my skateboard travels i would go to san francisco and they had a levi's lot one at the time in the san Mm -hmm. francisco location and i remember looking at the guy and being like hey could i just get like that from behind you and he was like no those are the samples like for people to try on that's just like a pattern block i'm like can I just get the one without the arcuate, like without the label, like nothing. I just want like a plain jean. He's like, well, they start at $700. <laughs> 
And you're like, let's go. Okay, never mind. I'll just, oh, I'll just wait until I make my own. I was like, I can't afford that right now. So yeah, I don't know. I think I've always kind of, yeah. And Levi's was a weird one for me because I was like, they just don't fit me until you find your size. You know what I mean? Until you find your your code. So like the 505 fit me a lot better than the 501s. And then, you know, you move on to the 550 and I'm like, it's just, you slowly develop with a lot of mistakes you're well they're in that's that's the kicker right there because people are like man 501s are so cheap and i'm like yeah once you find the exact size but if you're buying 10 pairs online and only one pair fits because sometimes i'm like look just buy the 400 pair of jeans because you're gonna spend that much trying to get you know the right you know i'm air quoting like the right jean um anyway the other problem is like you go into a specialty store for jeans and you're like, I like this. I want this to fit. And they're like, well, if it fits you this way now, you should go two sizes down because <laughs> it's going to stretch out. And I'm like, no, no, no. You have no idea. Like, I want these to fit this way. And if they get bigger, that's fine by me. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like, it's going to get bigger in the way. So I'll just belt it. It's totally fine. I don't need an APC and a 28. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't need an APC period. Um, that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially now. I mean, I, I guess I feel bad a little some strays to APC, but man, they're just not, they're not the same. This isn't 2008 new standards or <laughs> cures or whatever. Or the rescues, remember those back in the day? They were like the baggy ones. I do. Yeah, those were great. The one gene that I still love and go back to no matter what is sugarcane. Uh, yeah. The 66 is a gene that like, I'll go and I'll buy like crazy stuff. I'll get iron hearts and I'll get all these different things. And then at the end of the day, what I still will wear are just regular sugarcane 66 i mean it's kind of just works but it does i have done the thing where it's like yeah you spend just hundreds and hundreds of dollars on on the the right gene to to get it and it's like a ten dollar gene that you end up settling on so (laughs) exactly that yeah and so for me i was like i just literally want raw denim that fits like dickies and i don't think it existed at the time or at least in my price bracket or my access and i was like I just have to make them myself. So So your friend texts you how to make clothes and you're like, thanks. And she says, let me see your pattern. And you're like, nope. Well, I just did it that evening. And then I was like, hey, well, from that afternoon into the evening, we're maybe like midday into the next day. Yeah, no, I just, I did it all. And then I showed it to her and she was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe you put these together. That's crazy. And then she was like, what did you do with like the crotch junction? Cause it was all twisted up. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, well, that was the one I had trouble with. Like I have no idea how to put it on and I didn't know how to make a waistband. So mm. I just took the existing Dickies waistband and put it back on. Oh, Franken pant. It was a black, like canvas mm-hmm. pant at the time. And then I moved on to denim, which I really wanted to do, but I was like, I'll do a black one first and just use the Dickies waistband and continue that way. And then she was like, okay, like, Break it down, like, what did you do? What did, where did you go wrong? Like, how do you improve for next time kind of thing? And then from there, I took her advice and just, you know, did the next pattern. And then I took it to her studio and she was like, this is how you sew on a waistband. This is how I do belt loops. This is how you finish with a button, mm. that sort of thing. So when does the, when does like Henry's the brand enter the picture? I would say when I moved to Toronto after a certain point, I I was like, well, I'm making all these things and I want to like show people, but I don't want to annoy everyone on my personal Instagram. So I'm just going to start a secondary one and I'm going to call it Henry's because that's just my last name and it's easy. And then uh, it already sounds like an established brand. So I was like, we're good with that. Thankfully, Mm -hmm. (laughs) thank you for my last name. But I... uh, Yeah, I don't know. I just, it kind of it formed organically. It was just like me making clothing for myself and then sort of for my friends and then just kind of grew into what it is today, which is 
a lot different and a fully functioning brand that I don't think people realize I'm making everything myself, which is a good thing because I don't want to make it forever myself. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, I was like, I knew that you did make your own stuff, but I didn't know that that's still the case. It's definitely still the case. Yeah. So how many, I mean, how much time a day are you spending making clothes? All day. <laughs> <laughs> All day. I, uh, yeah, I, I pretty much work every single day, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, the odd day I'll take off, but oftentimes it feels like I can't really take a day off unless I like leave the country or leave my, leave my city. So if I'm in New York, it's great because it's like a nice break from it. But by the end of the trip, I'm like, okay, I got to get back to work. I got to do some stuff here. Because so. orders are piling up or you just can't? It's not even orders. Stuff. I don't really do orders anymore. I just pretty much produce for drops. So whether it's for, yeah. you know, neighbor who I work with in Vancouver who have been amazing over the last few years um, or for my own drops or other projects, like that's pretty much what I'll work for. So I don't do personal stuff anymore because it's just too much, too much time. It's like, okay, Jeremy, what size of waist are you? Okay. You're a 33 and a half by 28 and a half. And you want an eight and a half inch opening. Oh wait, no, sorry. It was 8.75 opening. And dude, you, you actually just nailed my waist and all these things, but l- literally just, just now <laughs> swear to God. And we've never met, and we've never met. <laughs> Damn, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I'm I just, a 33, and yes, I do. I like a, a 28 or 29 inseam. I like a, around maybe an 11 inch um, rise, eight and a yeah. half in the uh, from around the or no, maybe like an eight or eight and a half around the knee. Um, yeah, I mean it, that's. Yeah, I've literally traced different 501s and different sugar canes and stuff and tried to like be like, if I made the perfect gene, this is what it would be. Damn. Well, yeah. there you go. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So anyway, you're saying you don't do this anymore. No, I, I don't do this anymore because it's just a lot to, you know, it's a lot of mental management. Well, and, and, and people kind of suck, to be honest people, with you. Well, people suck, but it's like, <laughs> hey, like, you know, what size are you? Da, 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 and then you'll make it and they'll be like, ooh, it's actually the wrong size. Like, I realize I'm a blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that can only happen so many times before you're like, at this point, I'm losing money because time is money. Bingo. And if I was a regular functioning brand, you wouldn't ask me to be doing this. You'd just be like, hey, what's available in stock? And I'm like, I'm just going to start producing like I'm a real brand, so to speak. And, Mm -hmm. you know, put product out on a drop cycle and work with neighbor and develop like, you know, I want to develop a look with them like jacket, shirt, pants and see how they kind of style it or what they pair it with and in terms of like a lookbook or or whatever the case is. So it's kind of been an interesting journey for me, like starting with pants and then moving on to jackets and then now shirting and accessories in the mix a little bit here and there. But yeah, I just it's an ongoing journey. And I think in order for me to like develop uh, my design language and my you know, characteristics that I want to, I want to put towards the brand. I, I have to just continue this, this cycle. I can't be doing custom stuff for people because, you know, I don't want Jeremy to be walking around with a fuchsia stitch. If I'm like, you know, it's not really my idea of it. And then you're going and telling all your people like, yeah, these are Henry's. They're amazing. And they're like, Oh, cool. Hey, can I get the one with the pink stitch? And I'm like, I really just don't want that out there. You know, it's not, it's not really my vibe. So yeah, yeah, I think it, I think in order to like have the time to develop new patterns and, and new ideas, new designs, new fabrics. You just have to continue on this this path of like, okay, I'm going to produce this and then I'm going to move on to the next thing. And then sometimes you design something and it doesn't work out. And then through that, you panic and then you develop new ideas and new sort of, you know, journeys with it. So why do you panic? Because this is, I'm like, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> sometimes you place a pocket somewhere and you're like, ooh, that's not functional at all. And in your head, it's great. On paper, it looks amazing until you actually do it. And you're like, functionally, this just doesn't work out. My hand doesn't even fit in it. It's too low on the pant or it's oh. too high on the jacket. Um, it just depends. So 
sometimes the idea are better than the uh, the ideas are better than the actual final product. But I think with that, you panic and then you you pivot and you you know develop something really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting that you don't do the the personal stuff anymore because. I mean, I get it. First off, it makes perfect sense. It, but um, you know, a friend of mine does tailoring, and I'm like, man, it's like I, mean, I would love to get your stuff, but it's just so expensive. And he's like, well, here's, you know, let me explain my pricing. Like, this is what I actually make because I, one, he's like, I'm not getting all of this, you know, upfront. He's getting, you know, deposits and things like that. And he's like, I usually have to remake what I made sometimes, like two, two or three times. And he's like, so you're basically buying three for the price of one. He's like, it might be made just for you, but he's like the amount of times that someone's going to change or, and he has a thing too, which is, you know, um, for sport coats and, and stuff that like he'll just make adjustments for life. Mm. Um, you know, he can't, he won't remake something after it's been sold and, you know, received. Of course. But if, you know, you get, you get a little bit in the waist or you get a little bit this, like he'll just, he'll take care of it. And he's like, that stuff just costs so much money. He's like, so by the end of the day, he's like, I'm, you know, sometimes I might not even break even on, you know, on making this sport coat for someone who paid 4,500 bucks for. Exactly that. And you're like, yeah. whoa, how? And you're like, well, with the time and investment that you've put into this product, it's like, at the end of the day, is it really worth it? Like, are you actually making money? And this is all I do. I got to pay my rent. I can't yeah. rely on you to like, ooh, sorry, like something came up. I can't pay you until next month. Is that cool to happen five to 10 times? Oh my God. On a thing. And you're like, no, I can't survive. So like, what am I going to borrow money from my friends? Like, I can't really, you know, I can't make ends meet here. Yeah. Uh, I also just think it's like more mental clarity of me. Like, you know, I, I, I know the task at hand and I can kind of like plan ahead and like, okay, I'm going to go, you know, I have to be somewhere in a couple weeks. Like, what can I produce before then? What can I produce after? Should mm-hmm. I do a drop prior to or afterwards? And I, I shoot all the photos as well. Um, so, you know, planning ahead for that, but it oftentimes is very last minute. And I'm like, Oh no, drop is on Friday. It's Wednesday. I need photos. Hey, what are you doing today or tomorrow? Can you, can you stand in for some photos? Can I put some clothing on you and shoot this stuff? And yeah, it gets, it gets pretty, pretty on the fly at times, but, but, you know, looking at it from like 30,000 feet here, Mm -hmm. if you look at what it takes to run a brand. Um, I mean, obviously you need to have a good product, but yeah, you know, yeah. that that's check. But making the product and doing that, you know, there's a lot of great brands out there, but they don't know how to visually explain what their brand is right. to other people. I mean, your your photography, I didn't realize that it was all you. I mean, I I purposely make enough notes on here, but the, like there can be a little bit of discovery of here. Of course, of course. But just yeah. like um like being able to tell that through you know the creator is also the person taking all the images i mean you're 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 eddie slamane here you know (laughs) well like if i if i really like break it all down and rewind the tapes a bit and i'm like i wanted to shoot fashion and editorial photography for my job Mm -hmm. why would i pursue that in addition to making clothing instead of just like doing my entire brand myself you know shooting the images i want to be seen and kind of developing my entire practice that way. It's like, I'm the marketing director. Mm-hmm. I'm the PR agent. You know, I'm the pattern maker, the sewer, the photographer, the finisher, like everything. I have the whole rollout plan. And so it's like, it's kind of allowed me to like take myself to school while making a salary, so to speak. That's a lot and kind of great at the same time. It's a lot, but it's also like, you know, yeah, it's all I know, essentially. And if no one's going to help you with it, if no one's going to invest in your product because you don't have any product to show, then, you know, you got to just do it on your own. When you were making your jeans early on, I think, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is because jeans for most people are relatively, you know, they're not that much different, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. And I'm not belittling your stuff in any no, way. No. So a lot of times people will put some sort of, you know, eccentric detail 
to distinguish the gene. Like the best example I can think of is like Dior's little little uh, half line on on a pocket, or obviously like Levi's sort of you know stitch on the seats. Mm-hmm. When you were making your stuff, I mean, I know you you will kind of bend you know with some of your pockets and stuff like there, there's some there's some cool details there were you ever making some stuff that you were like no man like maybe i'm like how, how did you center yourself and in, into distinguishing yourself but still making what you were doing is functional well i never wanted to make a regular pair of jeans with a yoke and triangular pockets that was never really my my journey i like the way dickies fit and they have a dart on the back above the welt pocket i didn't want to make welt pockets on jeans either but I was like, how can I make a functional pant without a, without a yoke and develop it in my style? And I really, really liked white stitching on blue denim, which mm-hmm. only really existed in the carpenter pant and like old U.S. Navy stuff. So I was like, why don't I just, you know, do this because I like it and see what happens. And I think the first pair I did was like a yellow stitch instead of like a gold stitch. So like, a, you know, like a lemon yellow, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But I think... I don't know how I developed my style. I kind of was just like, it has to be functional. It has to hold my phone, my keys, everything like that. You know, the openings have to be large enough to put my hands in. I don't want to struggle. And certain yeah, pants, your pockets like, are big. Yeah, and certain Levi's, it's like, it's tough to get my hand in there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Let yeah. alone like a phone or something like that. And like a, right, lot of right. these, a lot of these jeans were made with like a cheesecloth sort of fabric for the pocketing. And it's like, you know, you rip your keys through that pretty easily. Um, it just disintegrates. And I was like, I want to use like a heavier sateen, like pocket bag. I want it to be smooth when you put your hands in, very luxurious. But like, you know, it should say something, but at the same time also go anonymous if you don't know, really know what you're looking at. Yeah. Um, and so I think like, yeah, a lot of people have come up to me and been like, what pants are you wearing? Or vice versa with customers of mine. They're like, hey, like I got stopped like three times when I was walking around today. People asking about my jeans, like they really, really like them. They're really into them. Um I don't know really how to like put that into words, but I guess it's just, uh, it has to be a functional piece of clothing for me, first and foremost. And so the design is almost secondary to the functionality of it, of like the pocket opening has to be large enough. It has to be like a pleasure for you to wear first. And mm-hmm. also, you know, you have to be comfortable in it. And if you get some compliments in it, then you're likely going to wear it again and again and again. And then with yeah. raw denim, that fabric being like such a polarizing thing, like I'm not a denim head. I'm not a denim guy. It's like you can be you can enjoy denim and not be like completely nerdy about it. You can leave the nerdy stuff up to me, but I'm also not going to like, you know, I'm not going to push the product on you like that. I'm not going to be like it's a da 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 da. And I think it's it's intimidating for people. They're like, how do I wash it? Like, how do I soak it? Should I pre-soak it? And I'm like, just wear it. It. who cares you don't have to do oh anything. so you're not it's in not... that thing in which like hey sorry man i, I need to you, you need to do a cold soak no, and then a hot just, soak. yeah wear it if you don't like them wash them if they're too big or they're too long wash and dry it see what happens you know experiment with it <laughs> <laughs> who cares That's it's fair. like sacrilegious in the denim world like do not dry your jeans and like sometimes it's kind of nice oh dude i i've gets a little hairy you know adds yeah, a little I've... bit of character to it maybe it's some I've rippling dried my on the jeans. seams yeah it's yeah. great yeah not every it's... time but no no for sure i mean most of the time i'm, I'm just like cold wash hang mm. dry but i'll put stuff in the washer and people are like you know but you're gonna get a weird thing on the denim and it's gonna and i'm just like yeah but i don't know i don't who have cares? time for that <laughs> who cares yeah yeah, you know. I mean, I, I've always like, you know, I ride the bike around, I commute on the bike, I, you know, I work every day. And, you know, before that was skateboarding all the time. And it's like, you just you wear them, they look good. They look good with wear and you just can't be too fussy with it. You can't be like, you know, too precious with your stuff, I think. So how do you get your stuff if it's always sold out? Great question. I ask people when they come and do local pickups, I'm like, so how did you get it? <laughs> I mean, because that's I, the only downside of your brand is I'm like, man, yeah. it'd be cool to get some. I'm like, well, fuck, man, it's always, it's gone. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. Like, I'm, I'm going to start to do more things like in person, which is also like kind of 
it's tough if you don't live in like a city like New York, Los Angeles, that sort of thing, Vancouver, Toronto, because, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's difficult. But the people who've shopped on Shopify before, like they've told me like, oh, I have shop pay. So all my information in the store, I just click the button and then it just like has my address, has my payment, everything in there. So that's how it sells out so quickly. I don't think it's bots by, you know, I don't think anyone's like looking out for that in terms of it's not a Nike drop. It's not a Supreme drop. It's, you know, <laughs> but I don't know. Great question. Actually, I have no idea how it how it could be yeah, more I mean, readily available. It's not available. a criticism. It's more yeah. just like yeah. For me, it's cool. I'm like, you know what? It sold out in like a minute, two minutes. That's fine by me. <laughs> I needed the paycheck, but at the same time, I mean, it's difficult. You just have to kind of follow along, I guess. And you know, when you go, do online, you ever do like pre-orders? No, it's too much. It's too crazy. It's the same thing as making uh, custom stuff for people. Because if I do pre-order and I open it for a couple minutes, it's like I now have 50 pairs of jeans to make. Like, how long is that going to take me? You know, how long does it take you to make a pair of jeans? I can do it in about three hours, depending on what it is. Three, four hours usually on average. So I can make a couple pairs of jeans in a day and it's totally fine. If I start anything more than that, like three, four, it starts to become a little crazy. I start to lose my mind a bit. So, so yeah, so therein lies the larger problem. It's like exactly. to grow the brand. Exactly. You got to get production essentially. And then in Canada, there used to be a lot of denim production, which then kind of mm-hmm. fell by the wayside when Levi's shut their factories down and moved overseas. Um, <laughs> I talked with this, uh, with my friend Emma, who's a New York based denim person as well. And she was like, my grandfather literally had a job to like destroy sewing machines. <laughs> and now we're buying them back. And it's like, you know, they're expensive, like a union special chain stitch machine, which I can't afford. They're like a few grand. So, and that's just for one function. That's just for the hem. Jeez. And they're rare. It's more rare than anything just because they had like an abundance of these things and they couldn't even sell them. They couldn't even give them away as paperweights. And they were just like, we got to get rid of these. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, denim production in Canada, there's a few people doing it, but it's not like large enough scale for me to like really produce. Mm. Um, there's a guy here in Toronto, Ben Piano. He makes beautiful stuff. Um, but it's, yeah, it's tough. It's like, you kind of have to go overseas, especially if all the fabric is from Japan anyways. It's kind of like, you know, you got to get production in Japan. And then through that, you got to get connections before that. Oh, I mean, making anything. Minimums, like, yeah. I mean, for us, it's a little bit different than it is as an American because we have a trade agreement with Japan. So like our fabric raw cost is like, I don't think we pay duties on it. We just pay the taxes. And so CMT from Japan is like a lot cheaper than it is to import it into the United States. So I think for me, like that would be the route that I'd want to go. Just depends on what actually makes sense. And if it's not up to the quality I like, it's going to be tough to like, you know, sell the product to a customer if it's not up to my up to my standards if i'm like could have done better here could have done better there it's like no i want it to be absolutely flawless which is maybe also part of my downside is like i'm not here to like be greedy and take the paycheck i just you know i want to provide a good product to people because it's my name on it at the end of the day so i mean that's that's the good and the bad of like an artist owned business yeah that's the thing right maybe that's my uh (laughs) my artist struggle here Because I'm yeah, like, I, mean, uh, I, I gotta let go a little bit and, and, you know, get the product produced. And I think it's, you know, it's never going to be perfect, but at the same time, it's like, as long as I can stand behind the product and really, you know, agree with everything that's being put out there in the world, then I, I think I'll be in a happy place. And it depends where it's, you know, it doesn't even necessarily matter where it's produced. I think it's just more about the quality, but I've seen a lot of the production in Japan and it's incredible. Even shirting, like I've been buying a lot of stuff, um, just contemporary brands, you know, Casey Casey, um, Comme des Garçons, like Mantle, who I really love. And a lot of the production is either, you know, French or Japanese or Italian or whatever the case may be. And it's mm-hmm. it's interesting to like see the details and be like, oh, damn, like this Comme des Garçons shirt is produced to a very high degree of tolerance. Like it's very, very good. Yeah. I remember when, when I used to work at the armory, we would get, uh, we 
would order stuff from Ring Jacket, which was made in Osaka, Japan. And, um, you know, these were like sport coats and trousers and stuff. Mm -hmm. And the Japanese tolerance, um, before I explain what it is, there was the, we would also get stuff from Italy Mm. and the Italian tolerance, you know. And so, like, you'd get the box from Italy. Most of the time, it would be one of these garment hanger boxes. And by the time it arrived from DHL, it's collapsed on itself. You know, it, it just looked, it looked bad. Um, whether it was packed properly or not, or just the, the trip across the Atlantic, it's very different than something that was the trip across the Pacific, right? And we would get the stuff from Italy and we're like, oh God, we got to pull it out. It's somehow like falling off the little plastic hanger thing in there and you put it back together and, and you're like, oh, well, the tolerance is somewhat good. We're at about, you know, um, it was like three to five centimeter tolerance on some of the stuff, which is pretty high when you're like selling something that's exact. And then the Japanese stuff would come in from Ring Jacket and it's like this perfectly packed box. The tape is is done like uniform, <laughs> amazing. The cardboard is like extra thick. There's no damage on anything whatsoever. Um, I think we were using like Delta Freight for that. I mean, whatever, spoiler. But um, then we'd open up the the box and you'd look at everything and it was perfectly packed. And the tolerance for fabric for them was millimeters. So yeah. it'd be like three millimeters difference, which is... I mean, when you think about selling like a custom made jacket, I mean, you'll make alterations in the centimeters, right? So it's like a custom made thing. You already have to make alterations from the custom product versus like all the Japanese stuff. I mean, it was just so good. It was so exact. And I know that there's other places that make incredible stuff, but just like it felt like everything that you'd get from Japan was just kind of perfect. It's it's nuts. And I think, yeah, they're also like very efficient in their production too. And talking to Davide from Giaia. Yeah. About his production in Italy, he is like, oh, I love it. It's amazing, but it's like, you know, I got to bring my whole family over there. I'm shaking hands. I'm like having dinner with the family. And then, you know, we might choose a color by the afternoon. And then the next day you got to go through it again. And, you know, it's like a whole experience that he's like, it takes a lot of time. And, you know, it's it's a relationship building exercise more than it is like a clothing exercise, if that makes sense. Yeah. Where it's like, you really like have to know the people that are producing your clothing. Otherwise, you're just kind of going to get a whatever product and if yeah. they're not invested in it how can you be invested in it well i mean it, bingo and yeah. i think that's that's the hard part too because a lot of those places too especially like i know some of the factories he uses where you can't just like call them no you gotta like, hey, show I up make something you gotta, you gotta show, show up, up. You have to like prove yourself and you're like this is what i want to make this is how it's going to go down yada 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 and then you just have to convince them it's like yeah everyone you has money you just have to convince me why you're worthy of our product being produced here yeah yeah for sure I mean, I think anything is challenging when you're working with production. It's just a matter of like damage control, essentially. Yeah. So, I mean, do, do you think that's why maybe some of that stuff you're you're going to kind of cling to making it yourself? Because you're just in this like... I would love know, to make the first sample. Um, yeah. I'd love to make the first sample and I would, you know, hopefully be able to like travel to these places and like explain to the people actually selling like, hey, this is like what I want out of the product. But mm-hmm. in reality, I think that's like a pipe dream and... <laughs> we'll see what actually ends up happening. You know what I mean? So yeah, I don't know. For a while I was like, maybe I want to, you know, use this product project as like a, uh, a jump off point and like, uh, almost like a physical representation of like, you know, a, uh, resume to be like, Hey, I've, you know, pattern drafted, shot, edited, yeah. cut, sewn, like maybe I'll go work for a bigger brand. And then the more I think about it, I'm like, I don't know if I really necessarily want to do that. I guess if the right opportunity allowed itself to me, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. But at the same time, I I really like with, you know, with what I'm doing and 
I think being small enough to do certain pivots that a larger brand isn't necessarily able to do, I think is important for me to like look into. So I just did a little pop-up at Nepenthes with Better Gift Shop. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's and great. when they originally asked me, I was like, okay, yeah, let me think about this for a bit. Does it make sense to have my product you know, in there just the way it is, or should I try to like spice things up a little bit? And so I asked, um, I asked a few of the guys from better to reach out to Nepenthes to see if I could get some engineered garments fabrics. Cause I was like, if I'm really going to do this, it's not a collaboration, but it's like, Hey, you guys already produce all the clothing in New York. You know, you have work a day where it's like the same fabrics every season, just slightly different tweaks. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, they probably have a lot of stuff that they are sitting on that they're not necessarily using. And like to the tune of, you know, two to five meters, whatever it may be, like I'll take whatever and do one-offs if that's the case mm -hmm. um and so with with things like that it's like you know i'm not meeting minimums at a factory making five items but i can do that with right. my my sewing machine here so it's totally fun and i think like pivoting in that way and you know potentially like you know gaining the trust of people and doing larger collaboration collaborations in the future i think could be like a good a good pivot point for me to like make some money and start with production and stuff like that because that's another big part of it too it's, it's like i'm not a rich guy i don't come from like a wealthy family and a lot of people who are in the clothing industry like they got a financial backer or, or some money some money in the bank to be able to do that stuff and to risk, you know, that yeah. potential $20,000 mistake that'll sink any small business. Oh God. Yeah. It's I mean, tough. absolutely. It's tough. Yeah. And cause you have what, like what, five or six different SKUs? Cause you have the, yeah, two or three different jeans. You have the coat, the shirt or well, the I jacket. Even, I, yeah. I don't even know. I have like a couple jackets, a shirt, like a main shirt pattern and like a mm -hmm. two style block or like three block styles of, of pant. And then from mm -hmm. that, you have, you know, either it's a patch pocket on the outside or it's a welt pocket or it's a, you know, internal pocket, that sort of thing. Um, and then I just kind of play with proportions in that way. So whether I'm washing and drying the garment to like add a little bit of a character to it, like a vintage style character, like rippling of the seams, like shrinking of the body a little bit. Um, I guess it just kind of depends on the fabric. So if it's a harder wearing fabric, sometimes I'll wash and dry to, to loosen it up a bit. I think with, with pants, I generally don't do that with jackets because it's, I don't know why it just, it feels a little bit more like a hug. So if it's like a stiff mm. raw jacket, sometimes I'll wash and dry and then I'll like it quite a bit more than the original product. So I'll move forward with that depending how I see fit. You know, if it's moleskin, it's a little bit softer. So it's not necessarily garnering that same kind of treatment in the washer dryer. So are there any sort of like, uh, denim or fabric myths that you think uh continue to be peddled but aren't true hmm i mean because you, you already did one where you were just like dude just just wear the jeans just wear the Stop. jeans don't yeah people are like how do i wash them i'm like don't or if you do like flip them inside out cold water in the washing machine hang dry them yeah if they're stiff they should be they're gonna be starchy when they you know when they get washed so uh any denim myths or, I mean, fabric in general, where it's just like, oh, this, you know, linen is actually way better in the winter. I don't know. No, I mean, just honestly, like, just wear your clothing. Don't don't be so precious with that, I'd say. Because growing up, like, I, you know, you buy the nice thing and then you don't want to wear it because you're, like, scared of ruining it. I think the beauty comes... Hi, my name is Jeremy Kirkland. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the beauty comes from, from character, from wearing, which is why I prefer vintage clothing to new stuff. Like, if I buy something and it has a hole in it or a stain, like, I'm, I'm like, hey, this thing has been, you know, there's wars that have been fought in this garment. Like, I'm not going to be precious with it you know you can wear it you can fall off your bike you can fall off your skateboard in it and you're going to be fine it's going to add character to it rather than you know diminish the garment altogether i'm also not going to resell the clothing on grailed i have no business doing that i i can't be bothered to like argue with someone online about a couple hundred dollars or something I, oh bingo yeah, yeah i mean like, that's such a pain in the 
I would, I would rather give a friend something than try to resell yeah. it. You know what I mean? So that's kind of where my head's at with it. I just, I think you should just wear your clothes and not be so fussy with it. Not keep everything super precious. I mean, I'm also not buying like, you know, tailoring, so to speak. I'm not buying like a Drake suit or like a whatever the case. I'm not buying like expensive Italian tailoring, like whatever, that sort of thing. No sport coats, none of that. But I think, yeah, I think the, the product will really reveal itself with where. Yeah, well I mean it's interesting you mentioned Drake's because a lot of those brands are trying to like casualize themselves for lack of a better term mm. into, you know, like all the games stuff mm. which is uh, one of Drake's lines. It's all like unstructured. Yeah, yeah. You know, totally. engineer stitch all these things that like reinforced here here and here to where like I don't know I don't know what happened where there was like this people that were wearing, you know, sort of streetwear wanted to get into more formal stuff but they didn't want to go all the way in, which like a full canvas sort of jacket. And so, and then the people that were wearing all the formal stuff wanted to get a little bit more casual. So you have this like perfect storm (laughs) of everyone want everyone wearing a chore coat with matching, with matching clothes, which I think looks great. I want to be very clear. I mean, I'm, I'm in that boat, but it's kind of nice because you have some people who are swinging up to tailoring and then you have some tailoring companies like Drake's Hmm. to where it's like, you know, like Ame and Drake's are both like going in the polar opposite direction than what they started. Right. Like all the the stuff you look at Ame, it's like suiting and and drake's is like not suiting you know uh and so i mean that always makes me a little bit excited because i'm like okay well someone's gonna see this and they're gonna they're gonna leapfrog into something else you know it's kind of nice but i think it's cool to see like the development of that throughout the years you know yeah i was gonna say do you see yourself ever getting into like footwear oh yeah yes i think i'll eventually get into footwear it's just a matter of like you know do i want to develop that myself do i want to collaborate with other people and and develop that product that way um i think it's cool I mean, footwear is hard it's, it's very, really difficult and i'm also not gonna yeah. make like bench made shoes in my house like that's insane um yeah. so you know whether it's a, a classic brand like that or whether it's a larger collaboration with like a sportswear company we'll see we'll see what happens in the future but i'm open to i'm open to it i like to have like the full you know everything i mean even like homeware not necessarily like plates glasses that kind of thing but i think it could be cool to release some homeware stuff like whether it's like pillows not couches but like you know upholstery or choosing a design of something like that i think that'd be really cool so pillows and bedding i'm dead serious like i feel like well like look at the brands like magnaberg and tecla like they're massive massive companies and essentially like they're just you know they're weaving a wide shirting fabric yep sewing a rectangle and selling it for top dollar and i'm like that's genius i really wish i i really wish that was my idea to begin with but yeah that's yeah that's big bucks (laughs) these days for sure my buddy um does like fabric mill fabric distribution stuff and uh i was at his house once and i was like man your curtains are so good i was like this is i was like it's like he's like yeah it's flannel it's like flannel trousers and he's like yeah he's like just made more and turn it into curtains and i was like oh my god yes i guess you can do that <laughs> he was like yeah fabric is fabric he's like you know just get the right weight and get what you want and you know um i remember drake's did these really cool pillows hmm just a one-off thing and i have them and every time anyone ever comes over they're always like fascinated with just these two you know it was like the drake's patterns you know the the classic like mugle sort of thing and then the unicorns and whatever that were on there and they're so good i mean i especially as someone who now you know owns a house or whatever that looks like you know having a little bit more space and stuff to get it it, i'm i'm more focused on home goods than i have been clothing for a while yeah because you're not going to move around from apartment to apartment so you're like yeah. Everything you purchase, you're like, how movable is this? Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's when you start to develop your own world around your brand, like like a Ralph Lauren or something, where he's just, a, you know, he's got like Polo Country, Polo Home, like Double RL, like mm-hmm. Double RL has vintage clothing in there. And it's 
it's it's further kind of establishing the brand and establishing the the design language of him and he's just like you know that's that's the template right there for sure yeah it i imagine it's probably weirdly maybe a little bit easier to scale because you're not going to be making you know totally. curtains and yeah. pillows and stuff in your in your house no but it's also easy it's like a rectangle of fabric you just have to like you know so the thing it. i did a little pop-up at lady white in november of last year or sorry in april of last year and they were like do whatever you want to the space and i was like <laughs> i didn't think about that too much like you know this person built it out this person did this and i'm like i think i'll just make some curtains and i made nice. some shirting fabric curtains that ended up being pretty cool so i mean that's that's just like the general introduction into that but i think you know further development could be could be pretty interesting it's just not really where my head's at right now because i'm so focused yeah. on like doing what i'm currently doing and you know producing the clothing and seeing where that takes me so in time in, in time. time yeah yeah well keith uh thank you so much for for chatting with me yeah thank uh, you this Jamie. was this was great uh but it, it was it was great it was great chatting with you i'll talk to you soon likewise take care You've been listening to Blamo. Our show is produced by Blamo Media. We're edited by Amar Lull and our theme music by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you heard, you know the drill. Share the pod with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever place you want to leave a review on. You can follow us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast. Big surprise. And uh, if you want to talk to us and give us your hot take, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email at info at blamopod.com. Last but not least, if you want to hang out with us and join the Blam Fam, yeah, that's that's what it's called. I know. Crazy name. But if you want to hang out with us, join the Blam Fam, visit patreon.com forward slash Blamo, where we have tons of exclusive episodes, including Blamo Presents Die Workwear, the Triple J Show, and the amazing Slack community. I mean, geez, a bunch of cool, cool folks talking about cool clothes and stuff all day. Dive on in. All right, folks. That's it. I'll see you soon.